0: And welcome to Feed and Flourish, the bite-sized podcast series from the Cloasters Forum, with me, Hannah McInnes. In this series, I'll be talking to experts about biodiversity and about ways in which we can transform our food systems in order to positively preserve our planet. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations around some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges.
1: Hello, my name is Agnes Kalibata. I'm the UN Secretary General Special Envoy for the 2021 Food Systems Summit.
0: And could we start by just looking at that Food Systems Summit? I know that it's a huge subject and we could talk about it for hours. But for those who don't know, what is the Food Systems Summit?
1: What are its main aims and motivations? The Food Systems Summit was launched in 2019 on the sidelines of the World Food Day by the Secretary General, really recognizing and concerned that we are off track on achieving the SDGs. We we are, last year we are five years into the SDGs, but really we are pretty off track on hunger. We are off track. For example, hunger has been increasing for the last uh, six years in a row. Um, On nutrition, we have so many people that are, are obese and are suffering from from uh, food-related diseases. Uh, And our environment and how we produce food is contributing to um, biodiversity decline, but also is contributing to climate change. So looking at all these things and looking at many of the SDGs that we have committed to, the Secretary General was concerned that we have 10 years to go and we are not doing a good job. So in the context of the Decade of Action, he launched the Food Systems Summit to help us look at a number of things together and the law of, of us as a people on how we impact our health, but also how we impact our planet.
0: And just to clarify for people who don't know, the SDGs are the Sustainable Development Goals.
1: Yes, you're right. Uh, in 20, um, 2015, we launched the uh, Sustainable Development Goals at the end of the, the Millennium Development Goals we did recognize that there are a number of things we still needed to do, and we launched the sustainable development goals. And those goals we are supposed to come through by 2030. So now we just started the last decade to 2030. We started the last decade to achieving the SDGs and all the sustainable development goals, and we are pretty off track. And to give you an example, I said hunger, which we are calling zero hunger now. We've been increasing rather than decreasing. So we're off track. Perhaps, for example, where it comes to biodiversity in
0: the planet, one of the things you mentioned, what would we be looking at if we carried
1: on as we are now? One of the big dangers from a biodiversity perspective is that our food system is one of the biggest contributors to biodiversity loss. We are talking about 80% biodiversity loss today comes from our food systems, whether it's how we use our environment to produce food, whether it's how we use our waters to access food, whether it is some of the things we do, developments we do in terms of of how we deal with food, but also how food itself relates with the environment uh, and how we produce food relates with the environment. So in a nutshell, really how we produce food all the way from the farm to the fork is a significant contributor to biodiversity loss, whether it's physical loss of habitat or how we manage uh, the the crops that lead to to further uh, degradation of soils or further degradation of, of, for example, insects that live in in crop environment. So there's there's huge evidence that suggests that uh, 80% of that loss is coming from how we produce, transport, consume, waste, all the way to the fork.
0: I want to come back a little bit more to that later. Can I ask...
1: Your role, you're responsible
0: for, and I'm quoting, outreach and cooperation with key leaders, including governments, to ensure the summit serves as a catalytic process. Do you believe, and I'm I'm sure you do, and I'd love to hear it from your perspective, that summits like this convening governments and stakeholders really has the potential to achieve concrete, lasting results? How do you make it a catalytic
1: process? Listen, to the question you're asking, um, you, 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 you want to understand whether um, what we are doing is, is, is possible to achieve, but also sustainable, you know. When we look at summits, as summits go, it's true we have a lot of conversations around summits, we have a lot of engagements of people. The, the, what we see, what I see personally as a major difference for this Food system Summit is what is at stake, number one, in terms of really the fact that, um, many, again, like I said, from an SDG perspective, we are behind on a number of issues, on things we care about, on things we have signed up to. So that's really important. And there are so many people that do care about this. This was a global process, a, a global engagement that led to us, all of us as a people committing to this, but we are behind. So that's number one. Number two, we have a situation like COVID, which completely disrupts the world. And we understand that its ability to happen and to s- disrupt the world comes from how we use our environment. And it's, it was just a major wake-up call that makes it, you know, puts the imperative around how we, we commit to, the, to our world, how we commit to our planet it has to be different from how we've been doing things. So it can't be business as usual. Number three, when the Secretary General launched the summit, even though COVID had not really happened, he called for two things that are extremely important. He called that we make this a people's summit and that we make this a solutions summit. In a people's summit, he was thinking that we need to give everybody an opportunity to understand their role and place in the environment. We each make a decision to eat three times a day. It's that decision that impacts our environment. Sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. We want food that has no blemish. We want food that has a certain size. We want food that looks a certain way. We need to understand the impact on our environment. And we need to understand what it takes to get to this type of, this type of things. Number four, probably, and last, with COVID, we have come to understand that there are so many vulnerabilities among us. There are so many people that are weak. Even nations that we thought we are doing well, Definitely have very weak, very, uh, major weak spots within their their landscapes. They have people that are suffering, and we just need to be doing something about this. And last last number five is we've seen major increases in in heat um, and and impact of climate change getting worse every year, even worse than we initially thought. You know, last year was a major uh, a major climate year, climate change year that was much, much more important than we had ever predicted. So all things are coming to, together to suggest that we need to take action now. And the Food Systems Summit provides that opportunity, but it also provides an opportunity for us to reach as many people as possible and to require that action and to ask for that action and to be ambitious in our action so that we can come through for people because there are so many people that are suffering and we can come, we can come through for our planet because I think time is now or, or never. Many people are saying that we are the last generation to do something with our minds straight. Other generations will be firefighting.
0: It's so interesting, and of course, worrying. But can I pick up on what yeah. you said there about it's for for people, this is a summit for people. And you, you were talking about small ways that people can change their lifestyles or the way they approach food, you know, not trying to be... Um, eating everything that looks perfect so vegetables for example and and just having a different approach to food i mean this is all going on at government level the summits i think in new york there's um, meetings in rome but if people are listening what would you encourage them to be able to do in their daily lives then to get active in a political
1: sense or, or make changes in their own homes so don't get me wrong um my first appeal is always to people, because it's, it's us that make things happen, whether you're a president, whether you're a minister, whether you're an individual like me, at the end of the day, you're an individual and you make individual decisions that impact the rest of us, and we need to be, to be conscious of that. So my, appeal, my first appeal is always to people. Now, secondarily, we do know that we come together as a people to form what, to form what is called governments, Governments are made of people, but these governments also take decisions on behalf of people. So we will be expecting decisions to be made on behalf of people. We will be expecting governments to come through on their mandate and to take responsibility for what is happening in our environment. We will also be expecting to come together globally as a community that has a challenge of our time to come through. So it's not that I'm giving any of those categories a pass. I'm just saying that it starts with people, with individuals, But We also do have a significant responsibility as governments, and we will be expecting that governments step forward with frameworks of engagement that that are committing to do things differently. We'll be expecting that governments step forward with commitments in terms of resources that can help us achieve many of the things we are off track on within our countries, but also within communities where we feel we can contribute as a people and globally we'll be expecting that we, we, we will come together and really evaluate whether we are able to come through f- for our world and for our people. So there's, there are different levels, but those three levels are extremely critical. I mean, I could also go among communities and start looking at what will farmers bring at the table? What will private sector bring at the table? What will indigenous people bring at the table? These communities also in their own way have different things they, they have they can bring on the table, have things they can stop doing and have ways they can impact communities and we'll be looking for all that. So important exactly as you say, the way
0: in which these summits bring together, bring to the table so many different voices, um, including smallhold farmers themselves. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your own background. You grew up, I think, in Rwanda or you went back to Rwanda but smallhold farming was something very personal to you. Perhaps you could tell us a bit about your very inspirational story and, and how
1: you went from there to, to where you are today. Thank you for that question. And I didn't, just to, to, to be clear, I didn't grow up in Rwanda. I wish I had. I grew up to, to refugee parents in Uganda. Um, so my parents had fled Rwanda um, earlier, before, you know. So I, I was born to, to to parents that were refugees in, in in Uganda, but that didn't prevent me from having a rural, a decent rural livelihood as a kid, uh, because um, we, we lived in Uganda. Basically, it became our our home, and and in that setting, my, my farm, my father was a, a smallholder farmer, and um, as he farmed he sent us to school, he was about to send us to school. He had been a teacher in Rwanda, so he understood the value of school a, a lot, and he really put a lot of emphasis in us going to school, and me and my siblings were able to go to school. But what I came to appreciate later is I, I went when I went into school, I ended, ended up in the agricultural sector, but I also then ended up being a minister in my country when I went back to Rwanda uh and and the fact that i had grown up uh in school when i was doing my master's and my phd working in the agricultural sector working with smallholder farmers but also then when i went to rwanda i found myself working as a minister in the smallest smallholder environment you can you can think of i mean you're in switzerland uh, rwanda con- likes to con- compare itself with Citiesland because of hills uh but but imagine these hills are being farmed every day and 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 you expect to be having food to feed your families uh, from these hills. So I was first with, with one of the most challenging farming landscapes. Um, and I really got a huge appreciation for how farmers make their lives through farming, but also what we can do as governments to help them. Now, I got even stronger appreciation when I saw that we had started making head headway. We had really got a lot of wind in our sail in Rwanda with regards to making sure that agriculture was becoming productive and farmers are beginning to see improved livelihoods and climate change happens. And this completely throws farmers off off board and they don't know what to do. So for me, my commitment to this work comes from, yes, I understand that smallholder farmers can raise children through school, like I was, but also There's a lot against them and they need support from governments. And now it becomes even more difficult because we have climate change. So uh, it's a combination of all those things. And I feel uh, that uh, we really need to speak up. We really need to work hard. We really need to work for people whose voices will never be in the same spaces you and I are.
0: About Rwanda with its challenges of 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 the hills. Actually, I've had the joy of going to Rwanda. I know those hills and they're very beautiful, but indeed, I can imagine it's very hard to farm. Those were the challenges there. Is it possible that, having said that, in developing countries, there is less of a challenge, perhaps to? the idea of smallhold farming than there is in other countries, you know, such as the US and, and larger Western countries, because industrial farming is is something that has taken
1: a very firm hold over over the years. Well I guess it's where countries it's the starting point. Today, uh, the starting point is most of Africa, not just Rwanda, is smallholder farming and it has a huge role in the economies of these countries. It's contributing up to 33% of their GDP, and it's providing over 60% of employment. So for these countries, smallholder farming has a huge role to play and could do more um, if they became even more productive. It's very unlikely that, that... um, many African countries would be moving to large scale industrialization like you see in the rest of the world, because you see at this point in time, farming can be productive even at small scale with technology. there are so many ways to make product, farming productive but what was considered unproductive back then in terms of farming when farming was being um, you know was being moved to huge scale, what was considered unproductive then um, today there are opportunities that make farming productive even at much, um, a, a much, um, much smaller scale than than back then. So for me, structurally, it's an issue of time, but it's and, and availability of technology. But it's also an issue of where countries are at and what their development trajectory looks like from this point where they are at today. Today, Africa is concerned about ensuring that its smallholder farmers are productive enough. Are able to be part of a growing industry that is able to feed people and pro- and be part of a gro- growing economies, and there are examples of how that is happening. So,
0: where biodiversity is concerned, then what are the opportunities for smallhold farmers, both in Africa and perhaps those opportunities extend to countries across the world?
1: Biodiversity and smallholder farmers is a very intricate thing. Um, because uh, and you could say biodiversity with smallholder farmers as, as well as biodiversity with um, indigenous communities. I honestly believe that uh, with the the, the 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 biodiversity we do still have today, we owe it to these communities. We owe it to these communities because they're on the ground, they're protecting biodiversity because they benefit from it much more than we do. They know what plant does what. Right? So they save plants for what they know of them. Now, there's, or, or, or even animals. Now, there are things that are against them. They need to feed themselves. They need to feed themselves against a declining environment. And and because of that, there's increasing biodegra- there's increasing land degradation as people try to feed themselves. And again, we have a responsibility here to ensure that these people don't have to do this right we we, we expect the biodiversity increase we expect climate change to reduce but we do we, we fail to see the connection on the ground with the communities that that are really working with the with the, the environment we so care about and we leave it to them we don't reach out and try to help them and work with them to ensure that you know that they help us save biodiversity and the environment as well so we can do so much more there are opportunities to rehabilitate. Huge biodegraded land we have the, the world has biodegraded land equivalent to the size of South America from agriculture we can rehabilitate that we can ensure that we are not biodegra- we are not degrading anymore. Uh, by ensuring that farmers are doing the right thing. There's now a, a number of things that farmers can do in regenerative agriculture, in better agroforestry, While combining it with better yields, farmers don't have to sacrifice ability to feed themselves. So we have to find that, that place where farmers can be part of saving the environment while at the same time feeding their families and able to, to have a decent life. And those opportunities are there if we start with them. Um, strengthening their livelihoods today, investing more in resilience and investing more in adaptation. Today we are only investing 1.7% of climate resources in resilience and adaptation, even though the SDG has gone for 50%. So uh, again, I feel like these people are left to themselves and to, their, to the elements as opposed to us being part of helping them um, ensure that they continue helping us save what they understand and know better than we do. Could
0: you possibly just repeat what you said about the size of South America? I couldn't quite hear
1: that important fact. I said that um, we we have an opportunity for farming communities to help us rehabilitate land that is equivalent to the size of South America, because that's how much land we have degraded from agricultural systems. So that's how much land we lose, uh, because agriculture, because of, of, of uh, food systems, as we are trying to produce food, sometimes land becomes unproductive, and then farmers abandon it and get to the next bit of land. So abandoned, degraded land from agricultural systems is equivalent to the size of South America, and that can be rehabilitated quickly, because there are communities that are shared with them, if we help those communities have the means to do so. So when you talk about the summit and the kinds of people who
0: will be there, perhaps you could paint a clear picture of that for us. Coming together will be the voices of smallhold farmers. Is that right? From developed and developing nations, as well as governments and and business
1: and key stakeholders. Perhaps you could tell us more about that. So the way we have designed the summit is that the summit has... um, we now are in the process of having dialogues, dialogues at national level where we expect governments to really help us understand in each country, because we do recognise that food systems are local, in each country, what is it that is, needs to be, trans, to be transitioning from a dysfunctional food system to a more functional food system? What is it that is impacting our environment? What are we not doing good enough? well enough that we need to transition but also, what are the opportunities we see for us to to really ensure that our, uh that our ecosystem the ecosystem of food production is working well so so through those dialogues communities countries will, will identify the opportunities and challenges in their communities but also we have put in place independent dialogues to allow for individual voices to come out voices of indigenous people voices of private sector voices of um farming communities, so that really what we come with to the summit is a, is, is constituted of governments themselves stepping forward and committing to transition their, land, their, their food systems to more sustainable food systems, but also to commit resources to do that and commit politically to do that. Communities to commit to that, private sector to commit to that. Uh, and that is the only way we can really change our system. It's if we look at it from, what we all do as communities, as businesses, but also as governments.
0: And what would you like to see? Again, these are big questions, each one I think we could discuss for an hour in itself, but what would be your hope, what would you like to see happen as a result of the summit, perhaps in the
1: near future and and within those 10 years? I would like to see really definitive commitment to ending hunger. I would like to see businesses committing to, you know, better food for people, you know, so that we reduce the amount of obesity in our system and obesity related challenges. I would like to see us as, as people committing to, to reducing our food, environmental footprint, from agricultural systems. We, we need to commit to reducing our environmental systems. I would like to see better commitment to livelihoods and, and equity in our, in our environment. like I said earlier, COVID has shown this, but we can do this. We can commit to ensuring that there's less um, inequities in our environment, more employment, uh, more opportunities for people, uh, stronger societies, whether they are indigenous societies or farming communities, we can can commit to to better livelihoods and we, we have the means to do this. And we can commit to resilience. Again, given that we are in climate change, we are working towards reducing the, the climate change and its impact on on, on our, our planet. But before we get there, we need to commit to people. Resilience and adaptation is extremely important.
0: You mentioned business there. Often that feels like perhaps would be the place that presents the biggest barrier to all of this because, because very often um, financial economic incentives don't drive business to do the best thing where food systems uh, are concerned. Do you think that that is changing? Do you think that they really are at the table?
1: I, I think, to be honest with you, I feel like businesses have been trying to understand how to engage and how to contribute to, to, to um, a better world, uh, given the changes that we are all going through for some time now. They've been trying to figure out different ways to contribute for some time now. I feel like coming into the Food Systems Summit and the conversations we've been having in the Food Systems Summit, there's a lot of openness coming from business, a lot of willingness to find um, places where they can engage. I see businesses trying to look at places where they can commit together as businesses, uh, big areas where they can commit together. But I see also them looking at things they can all do individually and be able to come through. So I, I am completely hopeful that businesses are prepared to come through for people and planet for the very reasons we discussed. I'm sure a lot of businesses have suffered uh, with, with COVID-19, as we all know, um, most, most everybody has suffered. So I think they've, a lot of them have, don't want to be in the same position as, as they are today, and they see the opportunity to, to, to really step forward and take um, a lot of leadership on some of the issues they can do. So I'm not worried that they will come forward. I am actually extremely hopeful. So, for
0: all its tragedy, and there is undeniable tragedy, COVID feels like a moment that you, the summit, and with all else you're doing, want to sort of use as a real time for change and action.
1: Uh, I wouldn't say I will use the moment. I just, I will just say all of us do recognize that we don't want to be in the same place anytime soon and that is extremely important for the summit and for the type of decisions we'll take
0: so fascinating to talk to you thank you and i only hope perhaps we can lure you back onto the podcast just after the summit and hear how it's gone it's obviously a huge moment in the calendar this year that those of us who are interested in those things and hopefully everybody is can look forward to and
1: anticipate I just want to to recognize, since you're speaking from Switzerland, I just want to recognize the support we've gotten from your government and the interest. They were the very first government to step forward uh, when we announced the Food Systems Summit, really show leadership there. But also to encourage you all to engage in the dialogues and make sure that we really are part of defining where our food systems go and where the future of our, the well-being of our planet and our well-being as a people goes after this. That's interesting. So Great Britain was a big supporter, were you saying? i mean in Great Britain. I was actually thinking about Switzerland. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that's a very good point. I'm in Britain,
1: <laughs> but Switzerland. So that's interesting. So Switzerland was a great role model, was it? It was because it was the first country to step forward. When nobody, I mean, when people were struggling to get to understand what the food system was, is about, Switzerland was stepping forward and saying, we need this done, we need to get this done. And I really got a lot of support from from the government and from the teams um, that the government put forward to support us. So I look forward to them taking dialogues, but also I look forward to the United Kingdom or any other country for that matter taking place in dialogue. Well, the forum, the Closest Forum, where we get together to talk about these issues and other
0: important environmental issues is in Switzerland. So that's Very good to hear. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. It's been a real pleasure hearing from you. No,
1: thank you so much.